Episode 89 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with Jay Easto-Smith, the Head of Academy Athletic Performance at Norwich City. Jay came on to talk about the structure of the academy at Norwich. He spoke about working cohesively. He spoke about the key reasons behind the success of the academy, getting players like Todd Cantwell through to the first team. And he also spoke about the one club approach. So it's great to have Jay on. I hope you take plenty from this episode, just as I did. I just want to let you know that we have now got our latest ebook out. It is available at footballfitfed.com. You just have to click the shop tab at the top. And this ebook is 50 of our favorite mobility drills, all within one ebook, all with video um, demonstrations as well. Um, so you can go and check that out, footballfitfed.com. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, if it is the week of this going out, which is the 1st of June, it is available at the early bird price of £4.99. That is my son getting involved in the podcast. <laughs> so you can go and check the um, ebook out, footballfitfed.com. And here is the episode with Jay. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 89. I am joined today by Jay Eastow Smith the Head of Academy Athletic Performance at Norwich City. Jay, how's things? Yeah, really good, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a busy busy and uh, slightly strange period, but um, I'm sure it's something that we've all learned from. So yeah, it's, it's been good. Yeah, well, thanks a lot for coming on, mate. I really appreciate you giving up your time. And uh, I know we've got some, some good discussions on some slightly different topics uh, on, on your role today. So thanks for giving up your time. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's, a, it's an honour and especially following on from some of the um, fantastic guests that you've had. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great job uh, what you do in terms of connecting our, our industry across the world. So, yeah, brilliant. I appreciate that, mate. So, Jay, kick us off. Let's, let's go through um, your career so far. So go back to your, your education and then I just mentioned your role. So just take us into what you're doing at Norwich. Um, yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very much a Norfolk boy. So I, I, was, I was growing in a very much um, working class family, grew up. Uh, in Norfolk, uh, I'd done my undergraduate um, sports science, well, sports science and sport and exercise science degree um, locally, um, mainly because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't know whether I wanted to go into coaching. At the time, I'd had quite a lot of experience um, coaching different groups, whether it be uh, disabled athletes um, in multiple sports, um, school sport, so PE lessons after school, sports clubs, or um, or like an actually isolated sport being football or um, or cricket, which is another interest. So um, I was unsure where I wanted to go, and the degree that I chose to do, um, I knew the the course tutor was a uh, was quite an established coach and um, locally, and I thought that sort of aspect sort of led me towards that. Um, alongside that, I was sort of doing. Yeah, like I've just explained, really, I've done uh, plenty of coaching. So I was coaching sort of two, three nights a week, playing football mostly twice a week, um, semi-professionally, um, and then played, again, competitive cricket and, and all sorts around that, as well as holding a job at, um, in retail as well, which I think the lessons learned from that would be um, it's an unbelievable place to, uh, to learn about dealing with people. Um, both coaching and, and working in retail and, and something that probably when we go to recruit player, uh, people for our department now it's for me it's, it's a really really key skill that someone might have um, from there I went third year degree uh, third year of my degree um, 
I got contacted by a guy called Chris Lorkin, who's now at Northamptonshire uh, County Cricket Club as the lead S&C coach, excellent S&C coach. And to this day, um, probably the best that I'd worked with in that area. Um, invited me in to do one day a week just to some shadow work. Um, and luckily we had a, a mutual friend. It was at the time where the EPPP was going to start in the summer. Um, so again, I was in the right place at the right time to finish my degree. And um, whilst out in Australia doing a bit of traveling, got, uh, got asked to come back early and, and start a full-time internship. Um, at the t- like I said, at the time, it was, it was just perfect timing. So maybe not the same sort of um, thing at the moment where it's really competitive to get into work placements and, and jobs. And it's very, very different back then. Um, that was 2012. Um, since then, I'd done my full-term internship about halfway through the season. Um, I got offered a full-time job for the, for the following season. I worked predominantly for the first four years with the under-9s to 16s, but also probably two to three days a week, I would take either an under-18s or an under-23s um, pre-activation session, uh, a warm-up, and then as, as well getting involved with sort of gym sessions and, and um, programming for injured athletes. So that was... Um, that was with Andy Johnson, who you've had on before. Uh, he, he was my line manager at the time. So he got me involved uh, like every day. And that, that was a massive, massive learning experience for me. And looking back, probably prepared me, um, not fully, but to a really good degree to then step up to the next role. Um, I then moved up to have a go with the under-18s. I'd done that for a couple of years. Um, before moving on to working on the under-23s and then working under a guy called Ross Hollingworth, who was our head of sports science and medicine, another excellent practitioner. Um, and then when he left, I then took his role. So uh, as, as the head of athletic or head of academy athletic performance, and that's where I'm at now. Um, so yeah, I studied, I studied a distance learning master's at St. Mary's University in strength and conditioning with um, John Goodwin and Dan Clever. Um, joint leaders of, of that course, which again, being exposed to those guys on a, on a frequent basis was um, an unbelievable opportunity to, to learn and develop. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at today. Awesome. And I, I actually, re- I didn't tell you this, but I reached out to uh, Andy Johnson just to get any feedback from him and see if he got any questions. So I'll put them to you in a little bit and see what, see okay. what you've got to say. But I, he's not gone too harsh on you, to be fair. I hope he's, I hope he's kind. <laughs> he yeah. has been very kind. Um, but one thing I was going to ask, Jay, in terms of like the, the structure at the academy now, so do you want to take us through um, the sort of bodies and the people that are involved and how the, the structure of the academy looks? Um, yeah, so uh, the academy has... a. I was trying to work out this morning about 38 full-time members of staff, um, which is which is a huge, huge operation. We also have um, part-time coaches that come in, part-time physios that help us run our schoolboy program and, and cover games on Sundays. Um, and then more sort of focusing towards sports science and medicine. Uh, there's currently myself plus three other full-time members of staff working in our sports science department in the... Um, Medical department, we also have full, four full-time uh, physios. So we have two predominantly working with the foundation phase, so under nines to, um, sorry, foundation phase and youth development phase, so under nines to under 16s. We have one full-time um, at under 18s and under 23s. But um, <laughs> what I was really keen on doing when I took this role was ensuring that everyone worked across every, depart- uh, every age group. Um, 
because they have their own unique challenges. So what I'm really big on is when we're when we're doing staff planners and rotors, it's all about making sure that everyone's getting exposure to diff- different age groups throughout a week. Um, the reason we do it is because, like I said, the unique challenges, it might challenge sort of coaching skills. It might challenge communication. And um, it doesn't allow a member of staff to um, work in like just by themselves. So I think it's really good for our more junior members of staff, which I'll touch on in a moment, um, to get exposure to working with more senior members of staff and seeing the way that they would coach things. But also um, it allows the more senior members of staff to probably take a bit more of the creative side from our younger, more um, uh, inexperienced staff because they have some unbelievable ideas and coaching in a completely different way. So it's trying to um, help educate the more junior members of staff and expose them at the top end as well. So they might be taking on 23s, 18 sessions, whether it's rehab, pre-activation, sometimes warm-up, sometimes conditioning, um, gym sessions, everything, just to try and really challenge their skill set and uh, ensure they develop into an all-rounded practitioner. Um, I know we spoke before on the phone about our, the sort of makeup of that department, so I think it's worth saying um, in the time that I've been at Norwich City, we've had lots of sort of staff changes in our department and um sort of when i took the role we had a a very um well an even bigger change in in staff where lots of people had gone to different places which is probably why i got my role if if i'm completely honest um but we had the the ability to actually develop the department into something that um that it is today where we now have two members of staff in our department that are full-time that came through uh, work placements with us um and and they've been a massive massive um success story really for the academy so over the years we've we've taken in work placement students every year from um, a number of different universities and i guess the thing when we're recruiting those members of staff is looking for a, a certain personality that that would fit within our department so i believe that um the four full-time members of staff in my department are completely different um, personalities. And, and I would say that they all have a really unique selling point. So whether it be as an S&C coach, um, as someone that's an unbelievable communicator with a coach and is very, very good at getting involved within that mis- um, multidisciplinary team, it might be someone that um, is uh, has an unbelievable knowledge on nutrition and gives um loads of value there especially when we're trying to to work with the the club's um nutritionist and and making sure we've got a joined up approach that way um and someone that's really good with data and project development almost um and that uh, yeah i guess that's where we're we're at at the moment um yeah i don't know if that answers the question yeah definitely and and then in terms of I know we spoke off air before we started recording about the the success of the academy academy and some of the players that have come through and I know there's there's a number of them now in the first team um regularly like got a got a first team spot but I know you talked about someone in particular when, when we were um on the phone and do you want to just touch on some of the successes that you guys have had and, and also the the reasons you feel that they're able to be successful yeah, of course. Um, I think the big thing to remember is um, sorry, that's gone there. Uh, the big thing to remember is um, it's probably the players themselves that we have to give credit to because um, I'm 
those that don't have the ability or the skill set don't make it, unfortunately, at, at a certain level. Um, so people that like we'll talk about in a moment, like Todd Cantwell, for example, um, had a real unique skill set and was outstanding technically. Um, we've had Jamal Lewis, who's outstanding physically. Max Aaron's exactly the same. And to play as fullbacks or wingbacks in the Premier League, I think it's a non-negotiable. Uh, the way the game's changing is like our role is to make sure that um, the players that we're putting in front of the first team can not just cope, but excel at that level. Um, so the next right back and the next left back have to be better than Max and better than uh, Jamal if they're still at the football club to take their place in um, either technical or a physical way, maybe both. Um, I think the second thing to that would be um, the successes came when we've had um, a change at the top of the organisation. So um, with Stuart Webber being involved and um, coming into the football club, like I know it's biased, but I'd suggest he's probably one of the best in the world currently in his role and gets lots of um, lots of praise around how he's changed the, the sort of environment at Norwich City and um, bringing in a young head coach like Daniel Farker um, who has a background at, at Dortmund's academy and was sort of a, had a proven track record of taking players from younger age groups, getting them into their first team. Um, that's been probably the biggest switch and he's allowed our players to develop and go through the, the system. Um, whereas probably in the past that didn't happen. So I'd say they're the two biggest things, but um, yeah, I guess when you're looking at attributes, um, I would suggest that everyone has to have an outstanding attribute to make make it to the uh, first team level because there has to be that wow factor when they first step foot on the grass in front of the manager or the head coach um, because if not, that journey becomes quite a short journey. Sometimes they don't step foot out in front of the manager straight away. Sometimes it's on loan. So we again, we have a really, really good loan programme um, in which is sort of headed up by Stuart Weber again and and Neil Adams, who's an ex-professional at our football club, um, extremely successful in 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 his playing days, and then um, led us to an FA Cup, uh, sorry, FA Youth Cup <laughs> winners spot in 2012-13, which was unheard of, and um, and then was manager of our football club as well. And he's really he's our loans manager and really heavily involved in that. Um, and that's been really successful. So people like Todd Campwell have, who didn't go straight into the first team, went out on loan, had a really successful period out there. Um, both Jacob and Josh Murphy went out on loan um, and developed their, their skill set that they currently had. And they probably had to develop in probably psychosocial ways that, that maybe we couldn't give them without um, providing them first team football. So in the academy, maybe the limitations there were that they didn't get exposed to the pressures of winning games and being consistent in training to get a starting position. And sometimes that's not the case in academy football because you carry, you carry smaller groups of players. Um, so I think that was really, really, um, that's an important thing. I thought about this and maybe even the geographical impact of Norwich City Football Club. So we have young players and I would suggest if you're going through an academy in even the Northwest where you're surrounded by big cities and lots of distractions, um, we don't have that here. The biggest distraction is probably chickens and hens waking you up in the morning, which, <laughs> yeah, each to their own. But um, no, in, in all seriousness, um, I think it builds a certain robustness in our players because they're very isolated. Many of them, um, because our catchment area is so small, 
when we get to the age where we can recruit nationally, we do. Um, and they, they live miles away from home. So they have to develop a certain robustness that way. Um, again, they don't have that sort of social interaction with friends and family. So it probably keeps a bit more focus on the, the job ahead in terms of turning up and doing your job and, and doing it to a really, really high standard. Um, obviously, the outcome of that is hopefully better performance and more consistency. And yeah, I guess touching on that point again would just be sort of less distractions. So um, yes, Norwich is a is a city. It's quite a small city. Um, there are bright lights and nightclubs and stuff, but um, the, the club is a massive focal point within our local area. Um, everyone seems to know everyone, so it's it's one of them things that probably if they do go out on a Saturday night and and mess behave, then it's with us before they get in on the Monday morning. So. Um, Obviously, we encourage people to um, to relax away from football and enjoy themselves. But um, I think we certainly instill a certain amount of discipline, and um, and the area itself sort of guides that. Um, and then I guess yeah, the, the support staff. So I guess for Todd's journey, if you're looking at Todd Campwell, he joined us at under tens. Um, the the change at changing staff and the sort of academy environment um, has been massive over the time that he would have been with us. He would have worked with probably anywhere between 50 to 100 different coaches and support staff um, across that period. He would have worked with four academy managers. Um, there would have been four different managers. So the academy's coaching philosophy and coaching program would have changed within that. Um, so as a technical player, when you when you're playing in real tight areas. So we had a, um, a focus for a few years of staying on the ball. Now for Todd, um, he really excelled in that area. And then when the um, philosophy sort of changed for the next academy manager and the next manager, when it becomes sort of bigger areas and um, it was more about sort of patterns of play and more of an individualized approach to sort of... Um, developing tactical understanding and technical attributes, then probably that's where Todd would be, would have got questioned a little bit more because physically he wasn't as, um, as developed as other people. So maybe didn't have as much of a positive impact on the session. Um, but then, yeah, it then leads back to that point that probably the, the hidden fact with Todd is that to this day, he's still our record holder at every age group for the change of direction speed test that we use in the academy. So, um, although he was, technically the best player um he was <laughs> he was the smallest under 14 15 16 year old that i've ever seen but he still had a, an unbelievable physical attribute and our, our academy's philosophy was all which i think we're going to touch on later but um was all around multi-directional athleticism and that came in from 2012 when we first started and it, it's still present in our um our programming and um it's still yeah it's still the main thing that drives our program today um so yeah, I, I think that touches. I think that answers answers most of it. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's um, it's great to have a, a an actual example of someone that's come through the system and and the sort of battles they've been through and um, their journey. But but also uh, you as a practitioner as well. Because I know you've touched on their location for players and um, it being quieter and not being the the big attractions of big cities and all the rest of it. Well, you as a practitioner as well, you mentioned there about being at one club, but you've also mentioned about, um, and I know you used Todd Cantwell as an example, but 
I'm sure you've probably crossed over with a, a high number of coaches as well. So, and we've talked on this very podcast about exposing yourself to different clubs and going into different roles and working with different people. You've done that at the same club. So what have been some of the benefits of staying at one club? Um, well, um, I think, I think it's been, I don't know, probably where, when you start at a club, you start, you tend to start stereotypically at the bottom of the football club and the bottom of the organization in terms of the most junior member of staff. Um, and over time you develop and you get promotions hopefully and, and, and whatever. And, and that's sort of been the way it's been for me, but you, you get, challenged in so many different ways and um you get exposed to so many different people that have different philosophies on stuff although they're still working towards the club's main goals that i think it it really challenges your personal philosophy at each step and every day because you've got so many different ideas going on then the next people come in and they've got slightly different idea and i, I think probably the end product is that you are um, you've tested your philosophy and tried it more robustly than if you were going to go to different organizations because you have to adapt and change. I still have to adapt and change. Um, but I think we've got, we've had, like, like I said, we've had a consistent message now of wanting to um, develop the best multi-directional athletes that we can um, that are capable of playing international football and for our first team um, since 2012. So probably there's a consistent message um, and framework that you work under. Um, but again, yeah, like, like you said, we've, and we touched on it in the last bit, we've, I worked under four academy managers, each very, very different in their own right, but each extremely successful in their own right. Um, with that comes um, massive, massive switches at times in um, playing philosophies, uh, in the way that they want their sports science and medical department to integrate with different departments. Um, and yeah, I, I guess sort of the, the role, the role that you play under different, um, uh, academy managers varies massively and yeah, you, you get challenged in so many different ways. I guess it's the same at different football clubs, but again, I, I still think I would have worked under, I tried to work out again about 100, well, would have worked with either 100 to 150 different members of academy staff, um, whether that be analysts, player care staff, recruitment staff, coaching staff, medical staff, psychologists, nutritionists. Um, I've worked under three excellent head of performances for the first team. Um, we've had three head of sports science and medicines in the academy. Again, sort of, it really challenges your way of thinking. Um, each person's got an unbelievable skill set. That's why they're in the building. They have um, some unbelievable knowledge. And, and I guess to you have to be open to all of those people and their um, and take what you can from them. I think um, everyone says the best coaches are best thieves. I think it's it's across the world. It's not just coaches. It's like if you know that you want to develop in a certain area. So, for example, if I'm now in my role and I didn't have knowledge of a medical department and how a medical department can run and what they're dealing with and challenges they're dealing with on a daily basis, then um, how am I expected to lead on their department? So um, I guess, yeah, it's 
take yourself out, uh, out your comfort zone um, and challenge yourself to to learn and develop alongside your your um, your other colleagues. But also the beauty of that is that you you're in a consistent environment where you, you've probably already well you've already developed um, relationships with other people, so it's quite a safe place to learn. So maybe the learning process is is slightly easier. And yeah, if you get things wrong and try different things, then um, then it doesn't matter too much if you get it wrong, um, because relationships are pretty strong. Um, <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, looking sort of at the, the head of performances that I've worked with, I was thinking about sort of their background. So our current um, head of performance, Chris Tomagala, comes from um, from Germany. He had a he was previously had a medical background. He was ex-educated. Now that is so, so different to where I started, where we had a very, um, so Chris Larkin was, uh, and Mike Watts that I started with, they worked with Paul Lambert. They were excellent S&C coaches, educated in the UK, um, had, had done all the UK education, um, masters in the UK. Now there's two completely different, um, there's two completely different styles there. And, um, I guess probably it's made me more of an, a rounded practitioner of being exposed to each of those um, because they're all excellent in their own right as well. So, yeah. Um, but I, I appreciate that um, some people do have to move on and develop elsewhere and challenge themselves elsewhere because maybe promotions don't happen um, and other, other factors affect that as well. So. I just want to give you a quick update on our online community. We have just added a brand new webinar from performance coach Harry Routledge. Um, Harry's done a webinar for us on the high performance environment, the application of research to practice and ways to generate buy-in. So this is another great webinar available now on our online community. So if you're not already a member, you can go and check it out by going to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab at the top. And if you sign up there, it does give you a free month on the community. If you stay a member after that free month, it is only £4.99 per month. And you'll get access to all the webinars that are available on there at the moment, plus future webinars that we have got coming very soon. And when our network meetings get up and running again, you will get access to the network meeting presentations too. So go and check it out. If you're not already a member, footballfitfed.com click the community tab to sign up and if you are a member make sure you log in and go and check out the webinar by Harry Routledge here is part two of the podcast with Jay yeah I think I think that's a great point because like I say on this very podcast with a lot of people we spoke about exposing yourself to different philosophies different game models and you've essentially done that at one club so I don't necessarily think it's about moving, is it? It's about getting that exposure. Um, and I think it ties quite nicely now into, I'm going to chuck one of Andy's questions at you because he, he said about speaking to you about um, how you're thinking towards youth development has progressed through your career. So um, that you can tie that in with obviously the different people you've worked under, but also tie it in with your philosophy because I know we can we can talk about the department and the club's philosophy, but your philosophy as well, how that has progressed through your career. Um, my philosophy has progressed from being extremely safe when I was younger and uh, and sort of 
vague. And I think it, probably now where I can be um, or where I'm, where I'm standing today is that um, I've got a lot stronger belief in, in developing athletes that are robust. So I'd, I'll be careful about using the word strong because I think people can um, sort of take that in the wrong way. But yeah, really robust to the demands of the game. Um, so, so for example, um, my, my thing used to be, and I think everyone gets apprehensive or would have been at some point in their career apprehensive around, um, speed training for, um, the, uh, team-based athletes, especially in a, in quite a tough physical environment where you, you may be training for, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours a week, uh, covering 30,000 meters a week. But for example, last year, we'd done a 12-week in-season um, resisted sprint program. Obviously, we use um, we, we sprint twice a week. And sprinting's not, I'm not saying, oh, we're just going to get to 90%. Everyone has to get to 95%. Obviously, there's caveats to that. But um, I think that's probably where my philosophy's changed is where I'm a bit braver now. Um, I, I do like guys lifting heavy in the gym. Um, but I do also believe that there's loads of different ways to be strong. Um, I think periodization is huge. So, um, working with coaches is, is massive. And that's probably where I've, I've got more, um, more experience now of like training volume and intensity used to not scare me too much, but you'd be sort of like, okay, safe and match day performance. Um, I think you can you can do both and I think you build a certain robustness um, if you get your periodization right so for example if you the match day minus four and match day minus three we're working in quite big volumes and have quite high intensities um, you can do that if you get your match day minus two and match day minus one correct um, so it's it's then um, not being afraid of that and actually you know what yeah we're going to develop that because um, our main aim is about developing a footballer so if the coach needs to work two big days around developing that player technically, tactically, and it, and we go slightly over volume, um, our targets of um, training volume, then so be it. But then the, hopefully where um, where I've developed good relationships, we tend to then um, taper even further on the Thursday and the, and the Friday if we've got a game on the Saturday. Um, so I think, yeah, probably not being scared of them end ranges because to improve performance and for people to become more robust, you have to, you have to uh, in, increase or you have to push boundaries. You have to challenge players to keep people engaged. You have to challenge players. So um, from my experience in the last few years, um, the hardest sessions, whether it be um, me leading it in the gym. So when we, when we're working on like, low reps but real high intensity work in the gym players go out of there and they're buzzing because they they feel like they are improving and they can see the improvement and that and they the sort of psychological aspect of really pushing yourself is a, is a pretty good feeling um and i guess they get that more frequently from me now because i'm confident enough to do it more frequently so again the lads love we have races in the middle of the week and it's nothing scientific it is literally get on the line when i say go get past that as soon as you can and you get lads that are over 10 meters a second um sprinting if i tell someone to stand there right just build yourself up stride out 
Um, obviously, you have to prepare them properly to do that. Um, I think, yeah, the boys just love competition. So, um, yeah, in, in terms of working with like my, my philosophy around um, the way that I train athletes would be, yeah, it's developed massively because I've learned more. Uh, when I was younger, I didn't have the experience, didn't have the knowledge. Whereas the more knowledge you get, you, you fine tune stuff. Um, probably when I worked with AJ, when, when I was a young pup, um, he guided me a lot and I learned loads from him and I've, I'll steal, steal loads of his ideas. I still use them today. Um, but also he's, he's a good friend of mine now. So we still talk and, and we challenge each other that way. So it's, um, yeah, it's great. And, and hopefully, uh, from my learning over the years so far, and I know I'm still pretty young, but um, hopefully that then is filtered down to the younger, younger staff that I work with. And I really allow them to try stuff. And yes, we have a framework that we work from because I think it's really important to have structure. And um, if you don't have structure, you can't necessarily hit targets or you can't back yourself to hit targets uh, and KPIs. But within that framework, there has to be the ability for an athlete, um, uh, a member of staff to be artistic and try different stuff and coach in their way because if not you build robots and um and a robot in a meeting where they're challenged probably would break down a little bit because it'd be sort of one-dimensional whereas someone that sort of thinks about why they're doing something and doing something in a slightly different way as long as you've got a strong rationale for it then then why not so um there's probably two answers to that working with athletes have developed more through I've developed my philosophy more through um, experience and whatever. But then now with the way that I work with people, especially those that are um, sort of more junior within our department, um, I think I deal way better with them now because of my learning experience as well, I guess. No, definitely. I think, I think that's, there's some great points in there. Um, and the sort of lessons that have come from more experience. I think that everyone's got to go through that, haven't they? Like you say, we, we've all got to be put under a bit of pressure and, and given that um, license to be a little bit creative with what we do. But at the same time, we've got a, we've got a job to do. We've got a program to stick to and all the rest of it. So there's a, there's a balance there, but that also comes down to the culture at the club, doesn't it? And the environment that, yeah. that you guys are in. So, and I know we spoke about it on the phone, but do you want to touch on, Take that in, into the, the sort of department philosophy, but also that culture and environment at the club where you can, we can tie into the, the trust of one another and, and working with other staff members as well. Okay, yeah. Um, so I think probably when we spoke on the phone um, about what's probably unique about our football club is we do truly have a what you class as a one-club approach. Um, maybe that's due to resource, because we, we're not a, like a massive European powerhouse. Um, but with our resource, I think we use it particularly well because the whole club works together. And, and giving a bit of detail to that would be, so for example, a working example would be the sports science department. Um, I have two line managers, which would be the academy manager and the head of performance for the first team. Um, the academy manager will probably do my appraisal work, but where the real work goes on is between myself and Chris Domagala. Um, and I guess our job is to make sure that in its rawest form is to make sure that um, our development model at the younger age group or the younger age groups when, when we're working with those guys in the academy is um, 
is fitting enough to develop the next Todd Cantwell and the next Max Aaron's and Jamal Lewis. Um, so Chris has a big part in sort of overseeing that. Although I'll lead on it on a daily basis, um, it's, it is communication between myself and Chris and the other guys as well in the, in the first thing. So we have some unbelievable staff working there. Um, lot, lots of what they do gets filtered down to us via um, good relationships. It's, um, it's sort of driven from the sporting director that I spoke about earlier, Stuart Weber and the academy manager. Uh, if, if we're not working in that way, we'll get, we'll get challenged on it because um, the club believes it's the right way to go. Um, a working, again, a working example of that was we had a member of staff leave last year and um, Chris asked me to step up to the first team. So I worked with the first team all year, uh, as well as doing my academy role. Um, that, that's the beauty with it because you can fit in that team seamlessly and not, um, not affect the culture within the first team or the academy negatively if, um, if you have to chop and change. Uh, and the other way around, we had a member of staff who came to work part-time in the um, under-18s as well, so done a lot of the, the grass-based work, who at the time was our data, uh, data analyst for the first team. So done, in, we were pr- pretty much in charge of all of our GPS analysis. Um, qualified S&C coach, excellent practitioner on the grass, but his main role in the first team was GPS. So we've had it both ways. One stepped up, one's gone down, but still maintained their roles in their, um, in their current sort of uh, department. Um, yeah, I, I guess it sounds like the perfect thing, but um, it, it is, I guess... The academy and the first team still have their own agenda. So academy is all about developing a player. First team is all about performance on a match day and they need to win. And um, so I'm not going to try and pretend that um, it's like a daily, I'm in their office, like how's things going, having a coffee, whatever. Um, We help when we need each other. And... um, and we also appreciate our, our boundaries as well. And, and that is sort of got, uh, done through me being the focal point for the academy when there's crossover. Um, and then the other way inclined would be Chris being the person that comes into the academy and would, would sort of uh, challenge us that way as well. So, um, Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, if you could just repeat the second part of the question, I don't know if that answered it. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I think the other thing to tie in with that is, I think there'll be a lot of practitioners that um, will be in similar positions, but and, and I know there's a lot of clubs out there where first team and academy will be very separate, and they won't they won't be able to cross over. And I understand completely what you're saying is that your your um, sole role at the moment is the academy but you're able to adapt yeah. to first team and, and a, people are able to flip between the two. But I think the big thing with that is the trust, isn't it? The trust and, and the sort of buy-in from, from practitioners as well, because for Chris to reach down to you and be comfortable enough to just drop you into that, that first team setting and, and deal with the demands of that first team and understand what's going on, there has to be an element of trust there. And the same for him to come down to academy level. So, what do you think some important factors are in building trust? And we've spoke about this a lot, again, on the podcast, but for you personally, where, where do you think you've built that trust with, with practitioners? Um, I think 
it's just the knowledge of we all have one common goal, no matter where you work, what um, within the football club. It's all about performance of um, of a player, really, each individual player. So, for example, my main role is to ensure that the transition of a player from academy to first team happens. And it doesn't just happen, but it's efficient and it's effective. And that's exactly the same for every single coach in the academy. Um, whether it be under nines, because they still play a part of that at the level to get the players to the under tens and so on and so on. So I think um, having that knowledge of each other's common goals is is um, is really really important. Um, I think probably um, knowledge that we all have a unique skill set and that we can all help each other. I know that probably 90% of the coaches that I've worked with in the academy um, want to work with an older age group or would like to be a first team coach or a manager or a youth team coach or a, a 20, under 23s coach. Um, and it's, I know I can help them in terms of understanding the stuff that happens at the, the next level. So for example, if they've had no exposure to GPS data, um, before and they're working with the youth development phase, but they want to be a youth team coach. Um, I think that you can start to help educate them in a, in a way which is really user friendly, um, which is a really human way to do it. It's not forcing it upon them. It's like, okay, look, have you ever seen this? Or like sharing sharing data across across different age groups, and then also it's <laughs> it's being a really good um, listener. And wanting to learn from, <clears throat> pardon me, them as well. Probably some of my biggest learning comes from um, some of the coaches I've worked with. So one of them is now at um, Ipswich's first team coach, which is controversial as he, as he played and worked for Norwich. But um, a really good friend of mine, um, Matt Gill, um, his skill set was so broad, like working with the way he communicated with players. And um, he was so consistent on a daily basis, whether, he's, whether the, the team were up or down. Um, I think, yeah, that's huge. And um, you don't have to be friends with people. And I'm, well, I know I say with friends, but you don't have to be friends with people, but you need to appreciate what each other bring to the party. And, um, and I think if you, in your multidisciplinary team or in your coaching team, whatever it is, so if I'm standing on the grass with the assistant coach, the lead coach and me, I know my skill set can help enhance the session. Um, I know the other two beside me can help enhance the session. And that's, that's our job to make sure that every time we go out to step foot on the grass, even if it's like subtle changes of um, area size or, or um, certain demands put on the players through rules, if that means that we get a certain outcome that is going to help develop a player, then that's where we've got to, um, to try and test it. When things work, um, usually you go, oh, tell you what, that's really good. What about if we do it this way next time? Then, um, then you got them on board straight away. And I think over time, probably I'm lucky I've worked at the same football club for a long time. So I've built trust and relationships through um, over time where um, probably some of the st stuff that uh, we've done has been deemed successful and players have developed and gone to the next level. And, um, and people then would look at you as being more of a senior figure and yeah, but he's worked with this player and he's, and he's helped him get faster. So they're like, oh yeah, he's pretty good. 
Um, but I also think our biggest role as sports scientists um, is just sort of immersify. I think we spoke on the phone about like immersifying yourself with, within um, their team and really being part of that. Because if you just sit on the out, outside all the time and just dip in with your GPS data and it's just numbers and whatever, um, then you're only going to have a certain amount of effectiveness. So in your multidisciplinary team meetings, it's like we've got to the point now where on a daily basis, um, I'd, like, I'd like to see myself as being part of the coaching team um, on a daily basis. And, and yeah, I do lead the sports science and medical department, but um, I think on a daily basis, my job is part of the coaching team. And that's in its rawest form is um, I will never coach technique, but me and the coach will work together to plan the week. And there'll be three or four sessions a week where we'll do some sort of passing pattern or technical um, drill within a warm up that is going to um, that is uh, going to be a passage of play that we'd like to replicate in the game and then in the training session that's that's to follow. Now, my job is to try and get the physical outcomes that I that I require from that um, passing drill. So it might be over a bigger area if we've got a really extensive day um, and we're going to go and sprint after. Or if it's um, if we're looking at trying to get high exp- uh, lots of explosive distance or accelerations, decelerations, lots of change of direction in the session. Maybe we make it tighter and increase the intensity um, and the demands on the player that way. So um, I think for me, that's effective. That's a really effective way to work. And that doesn't happen overnight. I think you have to, um, again, I've not been to a new football club where, um, where I've tried to develop that, but I think it it takes time and it it takes, um, getting things wrong we've, we've done it someday and it's been like oh, alright stop it here because it's not it's not good um, but it's uh, yeah I guess, I guess what it does do is it shows a player that no matter if you're the assistant coach the lead coach the sports scientist you are all singing off the same hymn sheet and you've got a clear message and you're working together so discipline happens as, as, as like a given it, it, uh, discipline's a given because you know you've got three people that are doing this for a specific reason. Um, I think the, the coach then ends up coming into my gym sessions and sometimes takes part. Um, he's an ex-professional and he, he loves it. And um, he wants to challenge players psychologically in certain sessions. Now my input to that can be, right, okay, we're going to push them to, the, to, to certain boundaries, but safely. So it's like managing risk. And one person trying to manage risk themselves is really difficult because they might not have the knowledge of um, certain people's thresholds and um, my input can be really really valuable there and and they know that and that's not by me telling them that it's because we we try and test it on a daily basis it's it's different eyes and different skill sets isn't it and everyone's like you said when you stood around the pitch with with technical coaches or physios or, or medical guys like an snc and sports science everyone's working like you you just said it and i think you summed it up really nicely that everyone's working towards the, the same outcome but you have to have that relationship to be able to trust other people other practitioners for them to have an impact and i think it is just that isn't it and, and i think the the clubs that don't work as well there's either trust issues or like you said people don't understand other people's roles or skill sets quite as much and that's where they're going to hold back on reaching out to that person but when you get that and you can work cohesively as that team that's when you can all pull together isn't it 
Yeah, so it's not always been the case. There's, there's been times in my re- uh, relatively short journey so far where you have to break down the stereotype of a sports scientist um, or an S&C coach because, believe it or not, people that aren't working within a sports science or medical department really don't grasp what we do necessarily. <laughs> um, they, they think you, you're just there to make people quicker and stronger. And yes, that is a massive part of our role. Um, but actually, like that's when, when you only get maybe two gym sessions a week or whatever you're getting, the rest of your time is spent with that, that person. And it's, it's trying to make the training week where most of the work's done, it's trying to make the training week as optimal as, as possible for the development and performance. Um, now, um, to break down them stereotypes, I guess you have to take yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit, get involved and, um, and challenge each other on a daily basis. So I've worked with, with some, one of the coaches I work with at the moment, Greg Crane, I first started in 2012 with him and he was a part-time coach and, he, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that he goes, Oh, just don't get sports science. I'm, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. So that's, that's what you people, I'm sure people are still working with that now, but I'd say today, um, so me and him are probably the consistent members of staff that have gone through different age groups and still at the football club. Um, to this day now, um, I'm sure he has questions and stuff about it, but he knows and trusts us and he will use, um, utilize us in the way that he wants to um, frequently now. Uh, and, and I mean, this is like just part of practice. So in an MDT, we pet, uh, the person that, so the sports scientist that's part of the MDT and the medical member of staff that's part of the MDT um, has their role to play within planning and reviewing and, um, and, and really developing their own program. So like that, that's a, I think probably what people face on a daily basis where I just don't get it. Sports science don't do this, blah, 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 blah. Um, And it's it's the old stereotype of um, you injured him. No, I didn't injure him. I didn't injure him, but we can stop him from getting injured and we can improve performance if we work in potentially slightly different ways, but it's how you communicate that across. And um, there's a bit of a joke. If you, if you're good at star football as well, you tend to get a bit of a buy-in, I think. So um, yeah, that's helped. I'm not saying I'm good, but um, we've, we've destroyed the first team this year at star football. So that's, that's been a big buy-in. I think the two key points, mate, are be good in staff games and as soon as yeah. you get any sort of coach to take part in a gym session, you're onto a winner. Oh, yeah, it's um, <laughs> no, it's, it is brilliant. It's brilliant because the players, as much as um, as much as we as practitioners um, lead our program, having a coach in the gym uh, is so valuable because they make decisions on who plays and who doesn't play. Now, as soon as a player sees that, it might be five or ten percent increase in performance and that is what we're searching for ultimately like we are trying like i said earlier we're trying to push boundaries and we're trying to challenge them end ranges and um like our philosophy at norwich city football club is all about it's all geared towards performance and the transition of an academy player to first team so them things are it's <laughs> it's unbelievable the the amount of um or how easy it is to sort of develop a really good hardworking environment in the gym. Like the boys step foot in the gym and they know they're going to have a tough session and they know the standard of work. So whether it's quality of movement or 
um, people uh, spotting each other when we're when we're working or uh, coaching each other. It happens, and it happens even more when the coaches are. So um, I'd, I'd like to actually, yeah, I think the coaches need a big pat on the back for those that are engaging in that way um, because um, they've probably helped enhance what we're doing at Norwich City Football Club where um, maybe it doesn't happen across the country. I don't know. Yeah, no, I think I think that is a real. I'm, I'm, I was joke being a bit um, using it as a bit of a joke, but I think it, that is a really important point as well because that, that ties in with everything that you've spoke about in terms of people working together, appreciating each other's role, understanding what we can do for each other. It all ties in, doesn't it? And that's that's an actual practical example of a coach um, completely understanding it and, and respecting the fact that there is good work going on there and, and if they're going to get involved in it as well, they see the, the, the benefit as well, don't they? So um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Jay, because we, we've gone, I, I promised you a certain amount of time, we've gone over it, so I don't want to chip into your day too much, but I was going to talk to you about um, CPD because we spoke to quite a lot of coaches down your way in, in your part of the country and the, the common sort of thing that comes back is that they struggle with um, reaching out and building a network because there's not too many clubs down that way. So how, and, and it's very different to where we are in terms of the Northwest, we're surrounded by clubs, surrounded by practitioners. Um, but how do you find CPD networking and then what's the club's approach to it as well? Um, we find it, uh, as we, well, I spoke to you on the phone, we, we find it particularly difficult. Um, I think for probably two reasons, really. Um, Geographically, we don't have many events near us, so probably the closest would be London. Um, we don't have that many clubs near us. We're one club county. We are probably the closest club is Ipswich, but that's still an hour and a bit drive. Then we have Cambridge, Peterborough, Colchester, um, and not many, yeah, not many opportunities to to attend CPD events in our area. Whereas. London area, Northwest is absolutely thriving. Midlands is thriving. So um, yes, it's only a short journey, but um, a member of our staff to go away for, uh, they have to go overnight the night before, maybe stay overnight the night after. Um, and, and I guess resource as well. So again, I've, I spoke about a couple of times, it's not an excuse at all, but um, we can't afford all the time to have two members of staff away. So for example, if it's the, it could be a, a, a two-day conference. Um, very often, if we're in season and we've got a really busy weekend, um, with all the best will in the world, sometimes we can't afford to be losing two members of staff. Um, because like I said, when, we, when we're trying to run our program and everyone working across different phases, um, it's brilliant, but it means that we're, we're pretty stretched um, so I guess our approach to that is um, we've got a, a formal internal CPD program. So it's it's I think it's a successful I think it's successful. Um, it has been successful because one thing it does is um, empowers every single member of staff in your department because we're all we're all on a, a level playing field. Um, we current like we always always challenging current practice within our organization um it teaches people to be up to date with current literature in their in their chosen topic um and it also involves like work placement students so i spoke about it earlier 
And it's our duty when they come into our building um, to develop them to a greater level than what they started, not just as, uh, as coaches, but also as people and, um, yeah, I guess people and like practitioners where they can go and present to people, they can go and speak to people and, um, challenge practice and not feel embarrassed or, um, are scared to do so. And I think them sort of skills, you don't get challenged with external CPD unless you are putting your hand up in an auditorium and asking a question uh, with 200 people listening to you or whatever. Um, so I think it's a safe place to learn how to do that. Um, and yeah, I, I just think it's a, it's a really nice way to do it if you can't access them external things. So we have the whole sports science and medical department will, um, will develop, uh, will sorry, present three times a season. So it's, it's a two practitioners a month. Um, and then we will have guest speakers come in as well. So we'll look for external speakers. Sometimes that's sorted out by the sporting director. So we've had people like Damien Hughes come in uh, and Middleton, people like that, who are completely different, come from a completely different um, background to us in, in a way, but they're all high performance people. Um, so we get exposed to that. And sometimes it might be specific to us. So, so it might be a leader in research in blood flow restriction training, for example. Um, it could be someone who's got a completely different skill set to us. So um, again, challenging practice in that way to try and enhance whether it be the rehabilitation process or the way that we uh, deal with athletes in the gym. So um, yeah, we've got a formal program because we felt that we had to have that. Because if not, um, I, I just think the excuse of external CPD being harder to go to than, um, than for some people is, is not really acceptable. We must do what we can to, to help provide that. No, definitely. And I don't want to take up any, of your time, any more of your time, mate, because I, I think there's been loads of great stuff in there, some really um, applicable things that people can relate to their situations as well. So I really appreciate you sharing everything that we've gone through. I'm, I think we've pretty much got through everything that we, we said we wanted to. Um, but I was just going to ask if, if people have got questions, they want to reach out to you, is there, is there anywhere that they can do that? Yes, yeah, so probably the best way would be, um, you can either contact me via email, which I, I tend to answer emails um, pretty quick, um, or Twitter's, Twitter's probably the best place, which would be at J Easto, so capital J, capital E, um, I thought if Easto Smith, it would have been too long and too complicated for people. So it's just at J Easto. And uh, my email address is um, my full name. So J A Y dot Easto Smith um, hyphenated, that is, at canaries.co.uk. So you can contact me there as well. That's awesome, mate. Ho hopefully, we'll get um, some questions for you and people reaching out and, and uh, getting a, a conversation going on some of the topics we've covered there. But I really appreciate you coming on, mate. I think that's been great. Um, and like I say, some really interesting topics that we've covered there. So thanks a lot. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you again for having me on. It's been a, been a pleasure. Cheers, Jay. Big thank you to Jay for coming on. It was great to chat with him. Um, there were some really key takeaways in this one for me. Um, we, he spoke about ensuring everyone working across all ages so people are able to adapt. And that's something that we've covered on recent podcasts in terms of practitioners being suited to different age groups. But this really gives you an all-round approach and also 
Um, within the club, you're able to adapt to working to different age groups as well. He spoke about it being a safe place to learn. So we called the episode One Club Approach, and I think that has many meanings, but one of the meanings is that Jay has been at that one club, but he's been exposed to many different practitioners, many different game models and philosophies, um, but at the same time being in the same building, um, traveling to the same place. So it is a, he saw it as a safe place to progress and learn. And then the other thing which it ties in with, um, I think what Ben Bradley said in the previous episode, knowledge of each other's common goals. So really important to know each other's common goals. Um, Colin Lewin also spoke about this as well. Understanding each other's roles within a team is really key um, for that team to be successful. So really good to talk with Jay. Let us know as always. Give us a tag on Twitter or Instagram with your key takeaways. In the meantime, go and give him a follow. He's on Twitter at J-J-A-Y-E-A-S-T-O-E. So go and give him a follow and let us know what you took away from the episode Um, because, like I say, it was great to speak to him about all the good work going on at Norwich. So big thank you to Jay for coming on. And big thank you to you guys, as always, for listening. Please, as always, share the show. Tag people in on Twitter, Instagram. Give it a share. Um, Send it out to friends or anyone that you may think will benefit. And we'll be back next week, um, at the end of this week, actually, with another episode.